I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That's my prayer for all of us as we continue our journey of faith. I hope we're growing in our prayer lives, in our study of the Bible, in our sharing and witnessing to our faith. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this service tonight. Thank you for joining me. My prayer, as always, is that you will be blessed both by the Word and the music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? I'm reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 16, beginning at verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I do not want to see you now in passing. For I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord just as I am. Therefore, let no one despise him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers." Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you and the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Keep alert. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. 
Let all that you do be done in love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Not for your own sake alone, not only for your family's sake, but for America's sake, the words are vigilance, steadfastness, courage, strength, and love. Now, originally, these words were spoken by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians to that church near the end of that first letter. These words are also a part of our text. Now, if we're really going to understand what Paul is talking about, we need to have some understanding of Corinth. Because of its unique location, located on the Gulf of Corinth, Corinth has some tremendous commercial advantages. It was a cosmopolitan city that was very wealthy, and the rich people had a marvelous life. They attended the shows and the gladiatorial games, and they attended drama and music. But the poor people didn't have it so good. As a matter of fact, human rights was not there at all. They saw slavery as essential to the economy. And then Corinth was also known as an immorality capital. The Temple of Aphrodite at one time had a thousand sacred prostitutes. And these prostitutes plied their trade on the streets at night. And if you add to these characteristics extravagance, drunkenness, debauchery, filth, and crime, and you have a good understanding of what Corinth was like. One scholar, in talking about Corinth, said of Paul, no preacher ever had it worse than Paul did. So undoubtedly, the church of Corinth needed to hear Paul's words. Listen to these words. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I ask you, do the people of the United States of America today need these words any less than those people of Corinth years ago? One wit said that the city of New York was going through so many problems that they were thinking about changing their area code from 212 to 911. Well, isn't that what we're thinking about doing all across the land today? We don't need to know too much about New York. All we need to understand is America is sending an SOS out, Save Our Society. In a poll conducted by Newsweek magazine, 76% of the people polled said the United States is in moral and spiritual decline. And with the evidence that we see around us, we would be hard-pressed not to agree. Jesus once told a parable where a, a man was captured by a man who ransacked his house, took all of his possessions away. I think that's a parable of the United States of America today. This nation has been kind of taken care of by some sort of enemy. What is that enemy that's caused so much distress in this land? I think it's a Satan-filled self-interest. And for years and years, God has been essentially denied in this culture. Recently, a minister received a, a check from somebody outside the church. And the person wrote a note and says, I'm sending you this extra money because the church is so desperately needed in our society today. Who can deny that? But the church that is needed is a renewed church, a church that's absolutely committed unconditionally to God's purposes of redemption in the world. 
So we need to pay attention to what Paul is telling us in this scripture. First of all, he says, be watchful, be watchful. Paul is very clear in his wise admonition, do not be conformed to this world. And yet the temptation for all Christians is to conform to the society of which they are a part. That is our temptation. That was true in Corinth. It's also true in America today. A young man had been taken into the jail because of a serious crime. He had also been accused of lesser crimes in the past. His mother was talking to the psychologist, and she said something like this. I did the best I could. I tried to guide him, but she said, sometime our best efforts as parents are undermined by the society in which we live. That's also true of our Christian faith. Sometimes our society undermines the best part of Christianity we can understand. Now, here we are. We breathe a culture. We breathe foul air, and we don't even recognize it. We just keep on breathing it. Then we hear somebody tell us an untruth, and we hear it so often we finally believe it. And then when we start trying to deal with our society, we kind of act like what our neighbors act like, rather, rather than being acting upon the standard righteousness of God. The other day, I sent out an email, and I'd like to share this email with you just for a minute. This is what I said in that email. Where are we in the struggle for the soul of America? It doesn't take a genius to grasp that our country's slide from greatness is well underway. Our hope is that enough God-inspired individuals will wake up in time, educate themselves to the issues, refuse to be intimidated by special interest groups, see through moral bankruptcy, engage in respectful conversation, honor true role models, love neighbor and those who are different, and be courageous enough to stand and to get involved in the needs of our society. Paul said, do not be conformed to the ways of this world. He's applying this directly to the church. Now, the late Dr. Sam Shoemaker, who was an Episcopal priest, said that when we say church, we may be dealing with one of two kinds of churches. He said, first of all, there is the truly converted church, the church that caught the fire of Christ's spirit and passed it on to future generations, the church that kept the fire burning brightly during the perils of the dark age, the church that produced St. Francis and people like him, the church that stood alone across the path of Hitler's idea of suppressing truth. But then he said, as another church, he said, first of all, we have seen this church I just described and we've been blessed by it. But then he said, there's another church, an unconverted church that has been influenced by the culture in which it exists. As a matter of fact, this church no longer has the ability to change society because society has gotten in this church and changed it, and changed it. Now, we read in Mark's gospel where Jesus went into the temple. He immediately started throwing the sellers and buyers out. He upturned the tables of the money changers, and he said to all of these people as he was doing this, my house is a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of robbers. You see, he was telling these people, you have cheated God and others. He said, you have desecrated the Lord's house. In other words, they couldn't even recognize the presence of God in the house of God. And in some places, that's true in our own time. We have trouble recognizing the presence of God in the house of God. In Trinity Church in Ohio, they sent out a questionnaire, 
and asked the parishioners to answer them on four by five cards. The first question was this, why did you come to Trinity Church? A little seven-year-old child said, because of God, because of God. The question was, what is your prayer for Trinity Church? An eight-year-old said that our church will minister to people always. The pastor said these little children were helping us to learn what the church is supposed to be. Do not be conformed to this world, said Paul. Be watchful. Be watchful in Greek means to chase, sleep away. Be watchful. Be watchful. And then secondly, and this is so important, Paul said, he said, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. A well-known incident took place in Argentina some years back. Roger Babson, who's an intimate economist, was asked by a distinguished political leader of Buenos Aires, Mr. Babson, why the difference between North America and South America? Being a guest, Mr. Babson said, well, what would you say? The man thoughtfully said, well, the people who came first to South America were seeking gold, while the people who went first to North America were seeking God. The late Bishop Arthur Moore said, that's true, not because he said it or because I say it, but because it's a fact of history, like any other fact of history. This nation grew out of, was the expression of, and was propagated to establish certain ideals and certain truths. Now, I'm aware that some historical revisionists have been trying to leave God out of our society for a long time. But I'm also convinced that if you study history and you study it carefully, you'll come to understand that God has been a vital part of this society and religion has been a vital part of this society from the very beginning, if you study it carefully. For instance, listen to these words. You've heard them before. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. These were the words that the Reverend John Robinson read to the pilgrims shortly before they embarked to seek a new home in the new world. These people set sail not only to worship God as they pleased, but they set sail to start a movement that would indeed bless humankind everywhere. Now, we are aware that George Washington was a man of deep religious faith, and he was one that looked to his faith to guide him in the decisions of the Revolutionary War. On one instance, we are told that General Porterfield came in to see him in the midst of that war, but he found George Washington on his knees in prayer participating in his daily devotions as he always did. In 1831, Alexis de Tocqueville came to the United States to find out why this fledgling republic was doing so well. It was already matching the big powers of Europe in commerce and everything else. He wanted to find out why this nation was doing so well. He found out a couple of things. Number one, he said, he found out that we had a marvelous public education system, that anybody finished the second grade, they would be completely literate. He also found out, more to his surprise than the other, that the Bible was used for moral examples in the classrooms to help our people understand the purposes of God in the world. How important that is for us to be aware of. And then I want to also remind you of something that our second president, John Adams, said. He said this. He said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the governance of any other. Adam's quote helps us to realize how much God has always been involved in this society. So why do some historical revisionists try to take God out of our society? 
basically, I'll tell you this, because they know that if humankind is the highest authority, if humankind is the highest authority, then we ourselves become gods, and we set the rules in our behavior. That is incorrect and inadequate, and it's, in fact, a sin, but that's the reason they do it. They're trying to change this culture. You know, it would help us, those of the church, when we have sung faith of our fathers and mothers living still, if we would stop and ask ourselves, is this faith really alive, and is it alive in me, and is it alive in the church in which I happen to be a member or a part of? I remember a few years ago, I went with the American section of the World Methodist Council to Wilmore, Kentucky. We were all concerned about the church. We were concerned about the renewal of the church. And people kept asking, how is the church going to be renewed? We all came up with the same conclusion. The church is going to be renewed when once again it pays attention to the center of its certainty, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I'm not talking about our opinions about God. I'm talking about God's revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. And this is what drives the church. This is what drives all of us as Christians. Not our opinions about God, but God's revelation in Christ. Essentially, we're trying to hold to the apostolic faith. So Paul said, stand firm in your faith. Eugene Carson Blake was once the president of the National Council of Churches. He said he remembered going to the Olympics. This was in England, in London, not the last one, but the one before. He said Wembley Stadium had 100,000 spectators, and they all applauded as the athletes came in and passed in review. He said when the uh, people from the large nations came through, the band played the national anthems, and people stood. God save the king, the star-spangled banner, the French national anthem, and, and so forth. Finally, the band stopped playing these national anthems and shifted to the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. Immediately, Dr. Blake said he and a few others stood as was their custom. But he said the great majority of people continued to sit. And he said they got very mad because they said, how do you expect us to see? We can't see. Sit down, sit down. The chorus was singing, King of kings, Lord of lords, hallelujah. And they were saying, sit down, sit down. We can't see. We can't see. Let me tell you something. Whether it's in the first century or the 21st century, if we are going to stand up for Jesus Christ, we're going to have to ignore the taunts of the critics. I remember regarding Pentecost, you remember the bystander says, oh, these people are full of new wine. But Peter and his other apostles stood. They didn't sit down and shrink away. They stood. And because they stood, the Christian movement really got moving. Let me say that again. It's important. If we're going to make a stand for God in this century or any other, we're going to have to be undaunted by the critics. It's so important that we understand this. And then Paul says, do everything you do in love. There was a woman who was telling her friend why she chose one man over another. And she said, well, when I'm with John, I think he is the cleverest person in the world. The other person said, well, why don't you marry him? She said, because when I'm Bill, when I'm with Bill, I think I'm the cleverest person in the world. Whatever the turmoil, whatever the situation, we're supposed to be partners with God in love. That is the distinctive characteristic of the Christians, that all that you do be done in love. It is said that Thomas Carlyle was going out one Sunday evening to make a speech. His mother was sitting right by the door. When he passed, his mother said, Ah, Thomas, where are you going tonight? 
He said, I'm going to tell the people about the trouble of the world. She said, but Thomas, are you also going to tell them what they can do about it? Well, be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this time together. We're grateful for your spirit. We're thankful for your love that undergirds us and sustains us. We're thankful for our nation. We pray, O oh God, that you'd help us truly to get to the truths and the important things related to our nation to understand how your hand has been upon it. Help us, O oh God, to move forward, knowing that you're with us and in all things. May we be a blessing not only to this nation, but to the world in which we are a part. We ask, O oh God, your guidance upon our leaders, that you will bless them if they deal with the crisis that we're going through today. Guide them and give them wisdom. We thank you for your presence in our midst. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining us tonight. We are glad you did, and I trust that you'll share this program with others and join us on Thursday nights. Thank you, and good night.
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air. So please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031 or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.